0: everyone. Welcome back to Stop, Drop, and Watch Bridgerton. Today we're covering episode five.
1: I'm Sabrina. And I'm Kat. And today we have a special guest joining us, our older sister, Alicia.
2: Hey, everyone. I'm Alicia. I started watching Bridgerton with my best friend because we're literally just running down the list of things on everything on Netflix, uh, and we're both really huge historical romance buffs. So we decided to kick this off and ended up watching all of it in two days.
0: So this episode kicks off with Daphne furiously undressing to redress and then getting back in bed. This scene, I think, is just to show that, you know, she made it back in time. But I was very confused how the maid would not notice that the clothes were covered in mud in the bottom, and she just
1: left them strewn out on the floor. I think it's really funny that apparently servants will check the sheets for blood every month, but somehow not notice her muddy dress. I always just figured she was sitting there trying to hide this mostly from her mom and less from her (laughs) maid. In the breakfast scene, when Daphne comes down the next morning, the Viscountess is hungover, which is hilarious to see given the last episode we saw her downing champagne glasses constantly. And the hangover cure suggested is raw eggs and garlic, which, I I mean, is the point just to get you to actually throw up? Because that's all I can imagine from that. And Daphne tells her mom, I'm engaged. And she doesn't say it in, you know, a super excited way or anything.
0: This scene, I was very confused. I was like, Daphne is a really bad actress. Like, (laughs) just she didn't look excited at all that the Duke was going to be her husband, especially the last scene we saw between Lady Bridgerton and Daphne was the really heart touching scene where they have a moment up in her bedroom. So I thought (laughs) it was a little
1: fishy. I don't know how as a mother you wouldn't suspect that something else is happening, but that's just me. I think she did suspect that something was up because as soon as she firstly figured out it was actually Simon and not the prince, she definitely got excited. She was suddenly over her hangover. Best cure ever, it turns out. And then she very quickly tells Daphne when Daphne kind of starts to explain about how she needs a special marriage license. Nope, you don't need to tell me anything. You know, what happened between you two is between you two. Yeah, I think when she first tells
2: her mom, her mom has this reaction where she's like, yay? No, not yay? Yay? What are we at? Like trying to read the room. And Daphne goes, no, mother, I'm like overjoyed truly. And it's like, sure, when you have to say truly, it's definitely never truly.
0: From there, we're taken right to the palace where Whistledown is reported on the engagement. The queen is not pleased. And also what you kind of get to see here is the prince had no clue that this was going to happen.
1: Right. And Whistledown very quickly alludes to the fact that if you're getting a special license, it's probably a scandal. Or true love. (laughs) One of the two. (laughs) And then we have another scene where Eloise and Daphne are kind of bickering. Yeah, as they're coming down the stairs, they snipe at each other a little
2: bit. Everyone's talking about the engagement. And Daphne and Eloise have this exchange where she's, Daphne's like, you should be so grateful because I'm setting the standards for you. And Eloise is basically just like, I'm super grateful that I'm not you. And they have a really like familiar snipe because they both just want very different things. And, you know, honestly, I thought about all of us because obviously I got married young and had babies young and... No one else in our family has done that yet. And I thought, okay, I kind of feel a little Daphne-ish here, but I'm super sympathetic to Eloise. So it was, you know, a real identity struggle in that moment on the stairs.
0: So from here, the prince comes to visit Daphne. And what I really noticed from the scene is Daphne is so much better at rejecting someone than Simon was to her earlier. And the prince is also just incredibly good at taking them. This scene, again, reminded me how much I really... As much as we don't really know Prince Friedrich, I like him as a character. Honestly, he does like no wrongs in the show. And not only does he like a great Prince Charming, but even when he gets rejected, he's supportive of the relationship.
2: Yeah, I thought it was really cute how worried he was to make sure she wasn't being forced. And then he was just like super supportive once she said she wasn't. But the big question I had was like, what happened to that necklace he gave her? So he gave her a necklace and then it's gone. But like, did she return it? There's no mention of it. This
0: is becoming a mystery show about the case of the missing necklace. Yeah, I'm less concerned about who is Whistledown with where does the necklace go and does Cressida have it? Yeah, I mean, I have like five guesses about Whistledown. I just don't know where this <laughs> necklace is.
1: The... Only other thing I was thinking about the scene is, you know, you really feel bad for Prince Friedrich. Like, he really takes rejection well and is super graceful about it. I would say the one thing that kind of kept me from feeling really bad for him was sort of remembering that the Queen forced his hand into going after Daphne. I think if that didn't happen, if he had kind of naturally gravitated towards her, I would have maybe felt worse about this. That's fair, though. I think that as a prince... Much like we see Anthony and his mother, like getting
0: pushing them towards the best match. Like, that's just natural in that age. So, Daphne was the diamond, so he should go after that first.
1: Then we're at another promenade scene with Lady Danbury, the Viscountess, Simon, and Daphne.
0: Yeah, we get to see the Duke show up, not looking great. He looks like he's still wearing the same clothes of the (laughs) night before. And Danbury calls him out and is like, did you bring the bar with you too? Such a good
1: line. Such a good, I'm going to use this now (laughs) next time I have a friend who's drunk.
2: Yeah. And then Daphne pops in with the famous cure of like, you should really try raw eggs and garlic because it's a miracle cure. And all I can think is if I'm him, I'm thinking if you drink that, then we're (sighs) just not kissing today.
0: I don't think there's any (sighs) kissing happening between them today. (laughs) This like scene really shows that they're both extremely awkward with each other now. They can't hold a conversation. And especially if they can't even pretend in front of other people, Daphne tries to pretend that they're doing great and they're happy. And then Simon rejects taking her hand, which I was just like, oh, that was like a really
1: jerk move. Like he could have at least take her hand for right now when they're in public. Yeah. I don't know if it was a reflex on his part or if he was actually like consciously rejecting her, but oh man, such a jerk move. Speaking of pretending... We have Anthony trying to see Sienna after the duel and Genevieve shuts the door on his face, tells him she can take care of herself and has left the town. She also says this one thing to him where she's like, she doesn't need anything else from you. And she actually, I think, kind of glanced at his crotch and she said something like, have you not done enough? It made me wonder, is Sienna pregnant too? Maybe I'm just you know, suspicious of everyone now that you know Marina was revealed to be pregnant. But the fact that she said, have you not done enough? It felt like maybe she was pregnant.
0: I I didn't get that at all.
2: (laughs) I missed the reference. I was definitely confused about why she says, haven't you done enough? I mean, he's definitely done a lot of things. So to be clear, there's more than enough things that he's done or not done, I guess, which really is the point here. But she did say it very specifically as if we should know exactly what that
1: meant. Yeah, I think it was also the and she left town Because we kind of know from this age, if you get pregnant, a lot of times you get sent out to your country cousins to have the baby in secret to try and hide the scandal a little more.
0: From there, we go to the Featheringtons household where we get a small hint here that Genevieve is refusing to pick on any new dresses because of their unpaid debt. But the more interesting thing from the scene is that Colin calls on Marina and, you know, they they do their 30 banter. He says like he shouldn't bring her any more flowers. He should surprise her with tomatoes. And Penelope is like, Marina hates tomatoes. And also, maybe you should go get a tomato plant from Greece, which I thought was so, like, over the top. I I, I think I find Penelope just hilarious.
2: I felt really bad for Colin during the scene because he's always been really nice to Penelope. He views her as somewhat of a friend. And then she's basically just like, tomatoes are cool. And P.S. You should go to Greece. Bye. And he's trying to figure out how to, on one hand, be nice to his friend and then court this lady while he's super confused he's trying to be subtle about it yeah i don't feel sorry for
0: colin really here because he should be listening to his friend not only does has like penelope been in his life the entire time but marina also lives with penelope so she's trying to ward him away i feel like this is one of those times when you like see your friend dating a new person you're like oh this might not be the best guy for you and they don't listen and then they come back later so that's just me i think people should listen to their friends a little bit more
2: Okay, but to be clear, in this case, listening to his friend is like, okay, I'm gonna go to Greece now and get a tomato plant. (laughs) So I'm not sure she was like, you know, it wasn't subtle to us, but to him, it was probably just more confusing than, you know, hey,
1: red flag.
2: He's probably more just like, hey, Penelope's gone crazy right now.
1: So we are back at the Modiste with Genevieve. Daphne is there with her mom getting her trousseau ready. And I am shocked that they're going to be able to get all this ready within three days.
2: Yeah, I really enjoyed the exchange between Cressida and Daphne. Honestly, I don't love either of them. So it was satisfying. You know, Cressida comes in with her hair pulled back like so tight that it really hurt to look at her. And then everything that she says is is kind of just like that. She knows what she's coming in to say and she threatens her. I really like that Daphne counter-threatened her, reminding her that like, hey, I'm going to be married and... You're going to be just as you are right now, unmarried and untitled. And then tells her, you know, it's your choice. You can be my friend or my enemy. You would think that was the exit line and the leaves beaten. But instead, she's just like, yeah, let's see if you manage to drag it down the aisle first.
1: Um, and then we'll decide. This scene also made me think, if this is how Daphne thinks you make friends, no wonder why she doesn't have any female friends, so that you basically threaten them into
0: it. <laughs> I don't think she's trying to make a friend here, but... Back at the palace,
1: Prince Friedrich is telling the queen that he's planning to return to Prussia now, which kind of surprising. I guess he really, it was like Daphne or nothing for him because he'd said before that he came to London to find a wife and it seems like it's still mid-season, so there should be plenty of time. And I did think it was nice that he stood up for Daphne too and said, I'm happy for them. I have no desire to use my title uh, to try and win her away. The queen isn't pleased with his response and says, I don't live my life in defeat. And I think it's very clearly linked to her own dissatisfaction with her relationship and her marriage to the king as one of these servants comes in, tells her there's news about the king and she's like, is he dead? And they're like, oh no, he's lucid and she does not care.
2: Yeah, that scene really was left hanging there. And I was like, oh shit, like, is he dead? No, he's lucid. Is that worse? Which is worse?
0: (laughs) The news of the rejected marriage license, though, moves back to the Bridgerton household, and I, I thought it was basically Lady Danbury who points out that it's not the archbishop who rejected it it's specifically the queen who rejected their quick marriage and you have to give the queen what she wants which is attention and can you guys prove sincerely that you are head over heels in love and it does not look like they can prove this at all like their reactions are like oh yeah uh, I can <laughs> you know so I, I don't know how they're gonna do this
2: yeah Daphne makes like the 100th hundredth- instance of her aggrieved face of this episode alone and all I can think is okay these women both know they can't be looking at her and thinking like oh she's nervous because she's in love like this girl looks distraught like maybe someone just stabbed her in the appendix I don't really know but she does this through the whole episode
1: given what we know about the relationship between the Viscountess and Daphne you would expect that she'd be able to tell that it's not just nerves there's something going on with Daphne and Simon I think it it just must be a case of her seeing what she wants to see.
0: I kind of wonder, do they assume the scandal that happened between them is so bad that they're not really on good terms right now? Like, maybe is Daphne pregnant in their mind? So they know, like, they might not be in a good place in their relationship, but this wedding is going to happen.
2: I just really like where she's like, great, we're all doing this. Okay, now where's dinner? Let's go.
0: (laughs) Okay, from dinner to a party, we're moving (laughs) to Granville, (laughs) where Benedict is getting to kind of enjoy much more than just studio painting at this point. It is basically, I don't know what you would call this in, in nice terms of a party, but there's a lot of hooking up happening everywhere. And who does he run into but Genevieve, who he has no idea who she is, but she's like, I know you, you are a Bridgerton. Like, what are you doing here? And instead of like separating, they flirt and much,
2: much more. I think in nice terms, we would call this a orgy. So this is a crazy artist orgy, but it's very cheerful and happy and clearly tons of consent going on.
1: So I was really wondering what Genevieve was doing there. I was pretty surprised to see her there. She had dropped her fake French accent as well, which is surprising. So I guess this was, you know, her crowd where she felt safe and then... Benedict not only sees Granville hooking up with another man, which is the first real homosexual relationship on this show, he then hooks up with both Genevieve and Granville's wife. Which, I, watching
0: this back, he did not know that's with his wife at this point.
1: I was actually wondering if it was possible that, like, she knew he was going to see Granville was gay, and then was like, okay, well, I'll kind of seduce him so that even if Benedict wants to expose... Granville afterwards, he's now kind of in a bind, too, but maybe I'm putting way too much thought into what was going on at an orgy. In the Featherington household, we have Lady Featherington telling Marina that she's going to invite Lord Rutledge over and it's time to get engaged to him. Again, we're not really sure how much Lord Rutledge knows in terms of if Marina is pregnant or if he just knows that maybe she's compromised, And this is where Marina tells Lady Featherington that Colin's going to propose to
2: me. I feel like this is the first time Marina actually takes like a step back and realizes that she's going to have to manipulate Lady Featherington because she threatens her. And she's like, you're going to get married Saturday or else. And Marina's like, oh, crap. okay, I have to do something. And that's when she drops into this whole like, you're right. And I'm so grateful to you. But if you give me this chance then I'll go marry him with a smile. And I think it's the first time she really realizes she should use some of her politics as well. But it really just made me feel sad when Thelapie's like outside the door, just distraught.
0: Yeah, I think two things from this scene. One, I know last time I was speculating, does Rutledge know about the pregnancy? I really do feel like he does. I feel like that's been discussed and he's accepted it when they keep referencing this over and over. And the second thing is, I really do like Lady Featherington and Marina together. I feel like they're a good match kind of duo at this point. Even though (laughs) Lady Featherington does hold some power over Marina... Marina can, you know, reject the marriage too. So I
1: really just enjoy that they're both playing the game at this point, but they're playing it together. Right. They are actually pretty well matched. And I think you can tell that Lady Featherington is not challenged by anyone else in her household, really. So for her to find someone else that she equally respects, I think... I actually think it's like kind of interesting seeing how she's... The wheels are turning in her mind where she's like, Oh, like there's more to Marina than I realized.
0: Oh, Speaking of what's going on in someone's mind... We go over to the first king appearance and the queen in the palace. And at this dinner, it starts out really amicably and you're like, oh, I wonder why she avoids him so much. But then quickly it turns when the king asks for their child, Emily, to be brought to him. And he starts screaming at her, calling her a bitch and basically saying that, what did you do to our child? And you kind of get to see that there is something very dark in the queen and his history together,
1: which makes you really understand why she's not you know, looking for him every day. I also I think this is the only reference we have to an heir to the throne right now that we've heard of at least. So it's unclear if Amelia was their only child or if there are other children I did think it was really sad when she was talking to him and she asks pretty
2: hopefully, like, maybe we can walk in the garden after this, because it's pretty clear she has no idea how long these spells will last. And then to have it quickly dashed, it was, you know, sad to see her disappointed.
1: And the next scene is similarly a pretty touching one where Daphne is overwhelmed and she's talking to her handmade Rose in the garden. The only I think nice takeaway from here is that you're really starting to see the relationship between Daphne and Rose come to play. And it's nice that there is someone that she can confide in since she and Eloise don't have that relationship. Yeah. I think you comment on or
0: you joke with Daphne often. It's like, why can't she have friends? I feel like Daphne just has a lot of walls up and like, putting on the performance that she needs to, to get what her family, you know, so desires. But with Rose, I feel like she's the one person that she really brings it all down. With. And I think for Daphne, I'm, I'm glad she has someone. Maybe it will teach her that she has to do that in order to make connections. From here, we get to see Simon waking up from his hangover over at Mondrick's house. Yeah. First, I do want to comment that burnt toast is actually probably the best thing
2: anyone's ever offered anyone else for a sick stomach on this show. So, you know, points to her. But also, I like that Simon watches the two of them talking and joking and flirting. And, you know, they have this moment where she says, you need to do what I say. And he's like, OK, you know, and there's this byplay where they're very teasing. And Simon's just watching them very, like, wistfully. And at this point, we don't really know what's going through his mind, but he definitely sees this.
1: And there's like a softness about him as he watches them. Daphne and Simon go to have their special audience with the queen. Just firstly, I loved that Lady Danbury didn't really fully curtsy to the queen and the queen kind of calls her out on it. And she's like, yeah, no, not not with these knees. Love it. I respect Lady Danbury. We also have Daphne attempt to try and explain that we're just like so madly in love and the queen is over it. She's so bored by Daphne's explanation. It actually made me wonder if she would have made Daphne the diamond at all if they'd had any sort of conversation the first time they saw each other because she is not into what Daphne is saying here.
2: Daphne is just like super disingenuous. Obviously, I'm not the biggest Daphne fan, but I just feel like when she talks, she's like that person who is always trying to say the right thing politically, but you just don't feel like any authenticity coming from her, even though there may actually be authenticity what she says in that she loves Simon. You just don't feel it until Simon cuts in.
1: It's probably those barriers that Sabrina is talking about again, where the barriers are so constructed in her mind and the way she approaches conversation that everyone comes off feeling like this this woman isn't saying what she actually thinks.
0: I don't blame her if it doesn't feel authentic. Like Simon and her haven't talked all week, and the last thing he's been, he's been a jerk. Like I don't know why she should be like I love him, and that's really <laughs> believable. We we know she's not a good actress, and. We know how she's been <laughs> feeling all week. I don't know why we expected anything more.
2: Because her buy-in is to get married. She needs the Queen's approval. You if she doesn't care about Simon, she's the one freaking out about her fight with Cressida. So I feel like, you know, whatever your motivation has to be, pull it out, let's do it. But yeah, she does not bring her A-game.
0: But who does bring his A-game is Simon, who gives a very moving talk, basically saying that he, he let the Queen into their secret of like this was essentially a whole ruse. I... While he was talking, I was really torn about, like, how much is he pretending versus what does he actually feel? Like, I don't know if it actually started off because they were friends. I don't really think that was it. So I don't know. I I was like, I felt like Daphne, who looked like she had been struck by lightning. She was so confused what was happening, which, like, fair point, I think, like, kind of came out of
1: nowhere. I think if I were Daphne, hopefully I'd at least be touched by what he's saying, but I would also be really afraid of how good of a liar or actor Simon is, given how he's otherwise been acting towards Daphne since the duel. Like, that's kind of scary in the person you're about to get married to. But I thought the queen's response
2: was really good, but also just really telling given the scene we have just seen, where she basically tells him that, you know, you're wise, friendship is the best foundation. But then she makes a like quiet aside, even if it crumbles as quickly as it's built. And then You can really tell like she's still mourning and bitter her loss of whatever she used
1: to have Mm -hmm. with the king. So that gives them their special license that they need and Daphne and Simon get married. I was like disappointed.
0: After all the balls we've gotten to see in this show, even Daphne's dress was extremely underwhelming. Like when I compare it to how she appeared in that like very sparkly dress when the prince took her hand, I I was like, well, I know it was rushed. But maybe she should have worn the old woman, like, you know, like, I think I would have, like, looked at repurposing. And even for how few wedding guests they had at the whole thing, like, they only had, like, their family and Mondrick and Simon and Lady Danbury. And I was like, I thought this is, like, the huge wedding of the season. I would have expected it to be a fuller house, even with their three days
1: notice. Drawing on my Jane Austen knowledge... What I know of weddings from that era is that they were actually much, much smaller affairs and like really just a private family uh, situation. So I think they were trying to just keep it somewhat true to the spirit of that. Also, people only would have had a three-day notice to come to this
0: wedding. They can make it. They all live in the same square. But (laughs) fine. It's historically accurate. I think a lot of this has probably not been the most accurate, so I would have wanted more. Actually, I was
2: confused. So I watched this episode twice and the end of the audience with the queen she says something to daphne about like i'm gonna give you the choice do you want to marry this man and immediately goes to the wedding and both times i had this moment was like wait do they just like immediately go does she send for her dress and it's like let's go to the chapel now i mean clearly she said time to change because she's wearing a tiara and a veil and all of that but it was like pretty confusing to me i wanted to be like well what's the choice like is it marry him now or else but we never hear the choice and suddenly we're at the chapel so i guess i kind of just imagined that was like a shotgun wedding
0: i was confused by the queen's question i, I was like what are you setting up for and then just like do you just want to get married to this man
1: you know I, I agree it was a strange question and that we cut straight to the wedding made it seem like wait did, was she like you either get married immediately and that's your only choice but I think the way I kind of interpreted it is that the queen was giving Daphne like one last chance because, you know, her own situation with her husband, the king, had so deteriorated that she's kind of, she's not pushing, even though this whole show, she's been trying to get Daphne to get married because it's just for her own amusement and entertainment. This is kind of the moment where she remembers that Daphne, she's a woman just like herself and needs to make probably one of the most important decisions of her life really quickly.
2: Okay, but in my head, they went straight to the chapel to get married under duress.
1: Well, it also explains Simon's (laughs) face when they're getting married. Both of their faces, really. Simon looks like he's about to duel again. Daphne looks like on the verge of tears, but not in, you know, the typical way you'd expect during a wedding. That said, her family looks really happy. Even Eloise looks at her really tenderly. And you're again reminded, you know, they have a very antagonistic sister relationship, but she does care. This also small, again, side note. I think Francesca was missing from her side of the aisle. I, if I remember correctly, she's away in Bath. I remember that in the last episode, Eloise said that she was writing to mm-hmm. her at some point, too. So she's still away. And of course, at the end to put on her ring, Simon removes her glove. And it was really just like her dream where she first realized that she was falling for the Duke. Their most romantic scenes are like hand scenes there was a
2: light hand touch, then there's this like glove situation. I think that read for me much better than any of the other random scenes that they end up in.
0: And so the ceremony is over at this point and they move over into the party reception. I was very annoyed at (laughs) one thing here, specifically that someone complimented her on the beautiful wedding ceremony. And I was like, they weren't there. (laughs) Like there was no one else in that (laughs) chapel.
1: So it was just me being annoyed at another like small thing. In the reception, the biggest part to me, the most important part of this scene is actually the penelope Marina Colin love triangle, where after she's told Lord Rutledge is already engaged, she's out of the picture. And Penelope does what is basically the exact opposite of what Anthony did with Daphne in episode one, where Anthony was crossing every suitor off. Penelope's trying to make any other guy in the room look like a really eligible choice that Marina should consider. They have this argument at this point where Penelope tells Marina, anyone but Colin, I don't want you to trick my friend. Don't do this to a good man. And I thought Marina's response here was really on point where she says, like, what, do you want me to marry a bad man then? Yeah,
0: I know you love Marina, but I I still stick on Penelope's side here. Like, I think she could have done it better, but she is trying to protect Colin here, which is, I think, the best thing she could do. Like, she's known Colin. She loves probably Colin. And she doesn't want him to get forced into this marriage, especially this marriage when there's a huge lie, right? Like, I like think that's the problem here.
2: I mean, the problem here is that she's in love with him, but sure, lie thing too. <laughs> no, that's not the problem. <laughs> to be clear, <laughs> this is jealousy. This is not like an like higher morale situation. Penelope wants him for her,
1: right? Yeah, like she's pointing out those other guys in the room and she would be totally fine with Marina marrying any other man. Literally anyone else. (laughs) She's like maybe Benedict or Anthony.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, this is definitely not her just like being a high moral compass for this. She wants Colin for herself for sure. And then Eloise and Penelope bump into each other after Marina's walked away. And that one was really sad to me. They look at each other a little bit wistfully. Eloise looks back as they leave, but Penelope is just like single-mindedly following her man and trying to lay stakes in that and just moves
1: on. Okay, but we really need to talk about the Colin and Marina scene where Marina pulls him away. It's clearly her moment where she's going to try and seduce him or something. She definitely does
0: step it up. I mean, she really tries to seduce him. Not the most convincing of ways. Like She's like... We shouldn't be alone here. And he's like, you're right. You know, he's like, he's like, I'm being tricked. And then she steps towards him and puckers up and closes her eyes. I think she could have done better at seducing here. But it's another reminder that
1: Colin is a gentleman. Like, he's not like Anthony or possibly even Benedict. Right. And... When he says, you know, you're a lady, I won't dishonor you this way. Marina realizes that she's fucked. You know, this was kind of her last gamble and you can see her face fall. But then Colin proposes to her and says, you know, there is a way we can be together. Let's get married. My favorite thing is when he goes, yes,
2: end of the season. She's like,
0: so long, though. (laughs) I also just was like, where is Colin from? He's a different breed of guy in this series, I feel like, than Simon or Anthony or his other brother. He's just willing to propose marriage to her this quickly.
1: Right. Back at the reception, Eloise is trying to pin down Lady Danbury as Lady Whistledown and very quickly gets rejected. The Queen overhears and we see the first interaction between Eloise and the Queen. And remember, Eloise is not out yet. And it's so clear she's incredibly awkward and inarticulate in this scene. I just was kind of cringing the whole time. Like, okay, can you just be a little bit more pulled together
0: and another awkward confrontation kind of happens right after where granville and benedict meet up again benedict tells granville that he saw nothing like he's not going to tell that granville was hooking up with a guy but more importantly we realize that the other woman that benedict hooked up with is actually
1: granville's wife which you could see his face he was dumbstruck at this moment and you see from her face that she either already knew who he was when they hooked up or found out at least before he did because she was not nearly as stricken. Then we have the Viscountess and Daphne having a conversation about the wedding night where Lady Bridgerton is just really shockingly awkward for someone who has so many children and trying to explain to her what to expect.
2: Yeah, at some point Daphne goes, oh, I get it. So all this is to have kids. And her mom's like, yep, good talk. We're done. (laughs) I can tell you I've had more detailed and informative talks with my 10-year-old than Daphne has with her mother. And that, I feel like, is just the first of many. So this just kind of reinforced to me, like, oh, maybe we should schedule another talk sometime soon for the 12-year-old and 10-year-old, because holy crap.
1: I mean, my best guess, based on how little she wanted to talk about it, is that she maybe thought more had happened between Daphne and Simon already, and didn't want to actually have Daphne say that aloud or admit it. Also, total aside, um, total, total aside, but did anyone else think that Lady Bridgerton's boobs looked super fake in this scene? Is it just me? No, no, no.
0: I did notice them.
1: There was like some contouring.
0: (laughs) It looked so uncomfortable. It looked fake. I don't know. Actually, the one Mm -hmm. thing I want to say is Lady B did give one, (laughs) I feel like one real advice. She was like, I recommend not eating a lot. And even though she did it jokingly, I was like, okay,
1: fair. So the wedding is over. And the next morning, Daphne is leaving the Bridgerton household to go on her honeymoon with Simon. And there's a really touching scene where she and Eloise, in spite of all their differences, have kind of like a final parting moment. Where she tells her, I am certain that you are going to make your own way in this world.
0: Yeah, I I teared up during it. (laughs) I liked it a lot in terms of just, okay, I feel like I'd have to defend Daphne a lot in general in this series. But I do really think she's a good sister at the end of the day. So I just liked that they had this parting moment before Daphne has to go move into her next life chapter. So the carriage ride to the inn, which was a surprise to Daphne, was also not surprising. Really awkward. I also was convinced, even though it was a very short carriage ride scene, the music and the build-up kind of made me think they were about to get mugged at one point. And so I was kind of expecting it. I didn't. So I was surprised when they finally <laughs> reached the inn with nothing ha- happening. So they separate into their separate rooms, and you can get to follow Daphne here as she's really upset. She's pacing the floor furiously. And right when she goes to open the door to find him, she finds him right outside. Oh, my God. It's such
1: a TV trope that you open the door and that person is already standing there waiting. Like, how often does that actually happen to you in real life? I don't I don't know if it's actually... Maybe it's never happened to me. But Daphne confronts him and she's like, why are you avoiding my presence? And his line here again is, to give you your liberty. I was like, again, this is like, wow, wow such a good fuck boy line again where I can totally imagine the modern day equivalent where you're like you went on a date with someone and you're like why aren't they responding to my text why did they ghost me it's like no I was giving you your freedom it was for you
0: <laughs> yeah I thought this this argument between them it's I don't know maybe I'm starting to get a little tired of their confrontations here because she's like I feel like I trapped
1: you, and he's like, "No, I trapped you." I think I could actually learn a lot from the way that she argues with Simon (laughs) and take it for my own relationship because she's so good at it. Like, she starts off really, she comes off really strong, and then she uses a super quiet, like, quivering voice. I think that dramatic switch between the super angry to super sad. Seems to trigger real honesty from Simon where he says things that he wasn't planning to. Yeah, I could learn from this. I don't fight like that at all. (laughs) It's all all anger. (laughs) I don't know how to manipulate someone into feeling bad while in an argument.
2: Yeah. Meanwhile, I feel like that's my life skill and Daphne is an amateur. I'm like, wow, she wields this really awkwardly. This could be much better. But I just really liked when he's like getting frustrated and he's dealing with everything like he does where he's like angry and she's like, don't be mad. And he's like, I'm not mad. And it's like, yep, this feels like the most real interaction they've had. That's like most true to life. It doesn't matter what century you're in, honestly.
0: Simon finally feels a little bit more believable for me here about his feelings for Daphne when he says like, he tells her that everything I said to the queen is true in his feelings. His feelings are that he can't stop thinking about her. So I think that was a first like swell for me. I'm like, okay, like, they're about to, be like, get it on. You know, there's some romance happening here. And, oh, my God, it was it was so cringy. Their I burn for you lines. I was like, I can't. I
1: can't stomach them. I really enjoyed how Simon effectively does a strip tease for her at that point. And, again, this is one of the first shows that I have really seen do this where all the emphasis is really on the, like, male body. And there's such minimal showcasing of Daphne's body I'm so used to, like, everything being about the woman's body and all that, and Bridgerton is clearly made for a female audience because it's all about Simon's body. To be fair, I actually really liked the details
0: of, like, the shots of how he was undoing her corset and the buttons on her skirt. It felt more intimate to me than even seeing, like, her real body, though I would say we get to see her push-up bra corset at this point, and I'm like, that's a really good push-up bra. (laughs) Like, her boobs are amazing.
2: Yeah, throughout that scene, I just thought, wow, this actress has a really good clause or contract here where she gets to cover up and he doesn't because like five times we see his butt from different angles. And I'm thinking like, okay, comparing this to like Game of Thrones or almost any other show where there's this, I'm like, well, this is refreshing. I mean, for more ways than one.
1: I mean, now that you say that, it kind of makes me think of Kevin from Bling Empire, who's just like, any possible chance is getting as naked as possible as they'll allow on TV. (laughs) (laughs) And while they're having sex, or about to start having sex, that moment when he finally takes off his trousers, Daphne's face. (laughs) she shook. (laughs) I mean, she she really, I I don't know if she's never
0: seen it, probably not before, but I mean... (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot, especially
1: after they've been having their, like, hot Stevie scene already. I really enjoyed how when he took out his, his trousers, he looked pretty proud of himself, too. <laughs> 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 he, he knows he's back in some heat there.
2: Yeah, I mean, I get that this was a romance, and it's obviously fantasy and all that, but I was just like, okay, yeah, she's moved on really quickly from, like, the, oh, this is my first time, to, like, oh, wow, this is glorious and great, and... You know, everything is wonderful.
1: It didn't seem like it hurt her too much either, which I think is another like really common trope in a lot of these TV shows where it's the first time the woman is having sex that you see a lot of pain and blood and stuff. And this one was really about her pleasure.
0: Yeah. And so this episode ends with a big moment, a big reveal. Simon pulls out when they're having sex. And I think we all assume as a modern day audience that
1: he is a liar. Like he could have kids, yeah, what this really made me think is, thank God for modern birth control. You don't have to rely on that. <laughs> so that is episode five. Curious to hear, what were your favorite characters or parts of this episode?
2: This one's tough.
1: My favorite character is Penelope, but I just
2: don't feel like this was her best showing. Unlike Sabrina, I'm not super sympathetic to this whole runoff to Greece with Tomatoes talk. I think she could have handled this a lot better. Also with Marina, I feel like she could have trusted maybe Marina more. I definitely would have. Or also maybe I'm just like better at emotionally manipulating people. But I feel like I would have told Marina like, hey, I'm in love with him. Like, please pick anyone else. I just feel like it would have been more effective. But I guess for like the story's sake, we couldn't have her be too effective. But but yeah, I think for me, my favorite part of the scene is really or the whole show really was just like, colin's character throughout i was really fond of colin i thought like oh he reminds me of all those like good boy memes he just seems like a little happy doggo just trying to move through life and and be happy and follow marina
0: yeah i think for me i had to think about this pretty hard this time but mm-hmm. i really liked the parting moment between eloise and daphne like that whole send off scene was just a nice sequence like
1: it's something i would watch when i want to be like moved again right I agree, this was a tough episode to pull out, like, one piece that I really liked, but I would say that I think Friedrich acquitted himself incredibly well and gracefully, especially in comparison to Simon throughout this whole episode, who's just being the biggest dick with all his fuckboy lines, and it almost makes me want to be like, Daphne, are you sure you made the right decision? Oh, I really don't think she did, but
0: (laughs) I'm, I'm really sad that Prince Friedrich is gone. I would keep him around. I hope he comes back for
1: another season. They did wrap his arc up very quickly, actually. Yeah, we need him back. (laughs) So that was episode five. Thanks all for joining us. And special thank you to Alicia for coming and bringing your thoughts and opinions today, too.